Cool, we're back with another edition of Sports Tech Atlanta Seed Talk. I'm your host, Sterling Mack, joined on the other end by Taylor Mack. We're really excited today. We've got uh, a guest with us. We're going to have a nice little interview here. We've got Jed Korenthal uh, joining us, who is the CMO over at Phoenix. Uh, Phoenix is the go-to provider for real-time video solutions. Uh, also the winner of the 2020 OTT Sports Pro Awards. Jed, how are you doing? Thanks for joining. Doing well, guys. Honored to be here. Appreciate it. Yeah, no, we're excited to to really talk with you. You've got an extensive knowledge um, within the sports um, sports world, also just you know with, within what we do within sports technology. I wanted I don't to know start about knowledge. With... I might have fooled a lot of people, Sterling. You know, that's what it comes down to. <laughs> <laughs> of course, uh, it's always kind of that way, right? Like kind of fake it till you make it. Absolutely. A <laughs> um, before we dive into kind of your background a little bit, if you could, uh, for our listeners, give us a little overview of what Phoenix is and, and what you um, are doing in the marketplace right now. Sure. So Phoenix is uh, is sort of a unique company. Um, we've built some technology that allows you to watch um, video video con live content, live sports primarily, uh, in what's what we consider real time. And there's a difference between using the term live and real time because there's a term out there called latency or delay in the stream. Mm-hmm. The basic, the basic, the easiest way to describe this is if you're watching a game on your phone and then you compare it to your TV or you compare it to your friends and you hear about a touchdown being scored or a home run being hit and you haven't seen it yet or you got some notification or tweet or text or something and you haven't seen it or heard about that yet, that's what we've solved. We've basically taken all that delay out of the stream um, and, and the other thing that we've done that's pretty unique is that we've taken the delay out at different times, meaning if the three of us were watching a game right. on the same platform, even on the same device, we'd all be watching it at different times. But with our technology, we watch it at the same time. So um, it just really makes for the user experience just a lot better. I think I was going to you know, dive down into that question a little bit later, but you know, since you mentioned so you guys are, you know, your 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 client agnostic is as how you how you state it, and oh, yeah. then what you just said is I think the biggest issue when it comes to streaming and people are finding out about latency if they if they weren't you know privy to what that was they but they understood that you know I'm looking through my my window at my across my apartment complex and I see their TV <laughs> touchdown pass just happened and yeah. they haven't even come to the line of scrimmage on right. oh, for us That's so. Right. Uh, what is I know that you guys have have some proprietary technology there, but how do you achieve that uh, that synchronous streaming? But at the same time, it, it, regardless of somebody's broadband or the cellular signal strength that they have as well for quality at the same for 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 bringing in all of these different um, uh, I'll say technologies together. Yeah, sure. Um, well, let me give you let me give you like a two minute primer on actual on what streaming is. So most mm-hmm. so there's really like two ways to stream content. There's a product called HLS, which stands for HTTP live streaming, mm-hmm. which is irrelevant. I mean, it doesn't really, you know, you don't have to know what that means. It's an, it was a, it was a product basically formed by Apple about mm-hmm. 17 or 18 years ago. And it was originally designed for large amounts of moving large amounts of data around, but it was kind of pressed into action for video because people wanted to stream video while they were, you know, watching or, you know, on the move or something like that. So um, almost everybody that you watch streaming video 
from today uses HLS technology, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, um, you know, all the broadcasters, anytime you ever watch the Super Bowl or the, or the World Cup or whatever you've watched on, you know, ESPN Plus and, you know, all these apps are mm-hmm. all using a form of HLS. And that comes with um, some inherent latency because the way that the video is broken up takes it's broken up into what's known as chunks like pieces and when you have to break it up and then reassemble it you know that takes time to put all that together and you can't really um stream something unless it's kind of put back together you can't really kind of do it until all the chunks are put back together so all that takes time so when you see what you just said taylor you know when you're watching your friend 20 or 30 seconds behind you that's what's happening Mm-hmm. So there's a second technology that's much newer that was um, formed by a, a, like an open source project by Google about seven or eight, nine years ago um, called WebRTC. It stands for Web Real-Time Communication. So what we're using right now, like what StreamYard uses and Zoom and Hangouts and Microsoft Teams, you know, all those video conferencing tools use this same technology. It allows you to stream to somebody, to other people in real time. Like we're seeing each other in real time. We're talking in real time. We're interacting with no delay, no real delay. Um, so that's basically what we decided. We would we decided that we would use this technology, but we would kind of rebuild it with our own, you know, proprietary um, technology sort of on top of it. So we rebuilt it because if you were to invite like a thousand people to this stream with the three of us, it wouldn't work. It's just not designed to have, you know, a lot of people at scale to sort of watch these types of conferences. Right. So we just said, you know what? Our founder basically made a, made a bet, you know, way back when, when he started the company that people are going to want to watch content in real time. Mm-hmm. So he said, you know what the hell with it? I'm going to figure out a way to use that WebRTC technology, but figure out a way to get it to scale to you know a million people that want to watch at the same time. So that's essentially what we've done. And we've built, you know, we've got some patents on some of the technology that we have. Um, it allows us to stream to anybody around the world at the same time. It's this patent we have called SyncWatch, which now enables us to synchronize the stream mm-hmm. across any device, you know, anywhere in the world. Um, doesn't matter what ISP or phone or device or what platform you are, we serve up this, the video at the highest quality, you know, your, your phone, your setup will allow. And we do all of that to, right. to allow for, let's say, you know, poor internet, or maybe even like very rural areas, you know, things of that nature. So we try and account for all the possible issues that could come up. So we enable every user to watch the stream in real time. Right. It, it feels like with everything you just discussed there, you were truly kind of ready. I feel like a lot of the sports landscape wasn't ready for, obviously no one was ready for COVID, but obviously their technology also wasn't uh, at that place where we could be, right? Not being in person anymore, having to have all of these different technologies being pieced together. Did you feel like your company, you being at Phoenix, uh, were truly kind of ready ready for what um, what COVID brought us in terms of this technology or lack of technology maybe in sports? Yeah, you, you make a very good point. It's like, I think what, you know, I, I certainly don't want to say COVID's been good for us because that's, yeah. you know, when people are dying, you never want to say something's been good. But I will say that um, what COVID has done 
has made people understand what chatting in real time actually means because all of the conference calls and video calls that people take are using, at least at its core, the same technology that we're using, that we built our platform on. So, you know, when we say to somebody, yes, we're going to stream that event in real time, just like you, just like, you know, you had your Zoom call, mm-hmm. the only difference is, you know, we're streaming it to a half a million people. Mm-hmm. Um, they understand it a little bit. And Taylor, you said before, like, you know, I talked to my friends who are not in this industry and they're like, they don't know what the word latency really is. But when I tell them that, you know, I saw the play before you did, they all like, oh, that happens oh. to me all the time. Right. <laughs> I know, you know exactly what you mean. I know mean, exactly what you mean. So why did so you just like, go ahead and say that? Yeah, you should that just is, say you know, like that. That's <laughs> shitty technology that you, you yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I mean, you yeah. know, everybody knows what it is. They yeah. just, they're not really sure how to put their finger on it and how to explain it. Um, that's our job, you know, and, and so people are under, they appreciate, you know, what the problem is that we're solving. Right. And I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know how familiar you are with a few of our episodes, but there's a thing that I like to call a, a big brain alert, so to speak. And that's kind of a product that I think that is either ahead of its time a little bit or heading in the right direction that can solve, you know, real world issues. I like real world utility because the sports technology, um, uh, you know, sector is there's a lot of there's a lot of products that are going into that could be oversaturated with things, and you're like, well, where's the applic- where's the real application? How can this solve a type of issue that's going on? And I think for for the direction that you're heading in, um, I really like the what you what y'all are doing with your product. And so you mentioned, you know, kind of without saying it a little bit, where you started in your infancy. And that was you guys were kind of doing trivia, trivia games and uh, kind of in a different lane, so to speak, to where you are now. And so a really big thing, if, if our listeners don't know, is that you did the 2019 interactive portion uh, or stream for the Oscars as well. We did. And so you started off as more as, you know, peer to peer direct interaction. And now you saw this lane that uh, you guys are going in and sports betting. So what was that aha moment of, hey, like sports streaming, sports betting, this can be this can be our niche. This can be the market that we carve out and really dominate. So what what um, in, you know, in y'all's meetings and talks, discussions came up where like this is the lane that we needed to go instead of where you were initially headed? Yeah, no, it's it's a fair, fair question. Um you know, we did um, we did do a lot of trivia. You know, at the time there was that show called uh, HQ Trivia, which was really yep. popular, and mm-hmm. um, so 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 there were a lot of um, kind of I guess copycats to some extent. You know, other companies that were trying to do things like that or add an element. You know, sort of an interactive or trivia interactive element to their show. We did something with Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, and we did something with a couple of Disney shows. You know, all along sort of the same lines, we did a soccer show in the UK with BT, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of a lot of similar type of of products, you know, mm-hmm. that, that everybody wanted to do. But, um, you know, in 2018, um, there was a law that was overturned called, known as PASPA. And it was a it was a, a it went all the way up to the Supreme Court. It was a case, you know, in in the Supreme Court that the leagues and and people were basically saying okay we we think it's unconstitutional to to disallow sports betting basically is what the case was all about mm-hmm. and ultimately the supreme court agreed and they they overturned the law and allowed for sports betting to be legalized in the united states um 
They didn't make it a federal law. What they chose to is make it a state-by-state law. So what's happened over the last couple of years is every state or a lot of states are starting to pass laws to legalize sports betting in their state. And when I saw that and when we saw that happen, we really thought that, you know, real-time streaming could make a tremendous impact on sports betting because not only are you now seeing content faster and in real time, now there's money on the line, right? Like you're making a bet right. <laughs> and holy cow, like this actually means something. This isn't yeah. just like, you know, an experience where, yeah, I'm seeing it before you are. Mm-hmm. That's cool enough. But now it's like, I'm making a bet. And so we sort of, you know, taken a page out of the UK because England has been, you know, in the betting space for many, many years mm-hmm. and, you know, past betting in 1961 and for at least the last, you know, 30 years have been a very aggressive betting market with, with soccer or they call it, you know, football, they call it, you know, um, and horse racing, you know, those are enormous, enormous betting um, sports, betting on, bet on sports, excuse me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it just kind of occurred to us that that may be a way for us to make an impact with our technology. So we made a concerted effort to sort of not shift away from what we were doing, just shift towards sports and sports betting and making sure that we made our case and made our pitch to, um, you know, to the sports betting industry and those that are involved in sports betting, the sports books and the leagues and the broadcasters. And, you know, there's so many, there's a lot of, a lot of chefs in the kitchen in the sports betting space, but yeah. Um, to your point earlier, we are agnostic and we, we just want everybody to use our technology to power their, their platform. I, I think um, a cool thing that I, I saw, because at the end of the day, if you do make the, the user experience better, that's that's amazing. But I think uh, what everybody always sees, uh, you you have to look at the dollar signs. Let's <laughs> we have to we money have to talks. Be, money talks a lot. And, and if you're coming into uh, what, you know, whatever said sports book or whatever said organization, you're saying, hey, we can increase the amount of betting that you can have by doing this. Was there was there already kind of an avenue for those analytics of saying with these say 30 additional seconds before, you know, the, the gates close for a horse race and these X amount of bets that you're getting in, this is what we can increase for you guys. Or was this all, Hey, trial by fire. Once we get that data, then we can bring that back to you. Yeah. I, I, I honestly will tell you that I think it's the latter, um, you know, because we hadn't had anybody to prove it out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we all, knew or at least thought we knew what it could do mm-hmm. um and slowly but surely where it's being proven right um we've got a client in england in the uk that owns about 70 percent of the horse racing market and they switched their streaming from a you know a legacy provider that used hls and had about mm-hmm. 10 seconds of delay which is actually not so bad right comparatively speaking and they moved to us and we're delivering the stream in like 300 milliseconds. So not only, you know, is the betting window open longer, but you could actually bet during the race. So imagine, you know, a horse race starts and, you know, you put your money on number seven and halfway through the halfway through the race, number seven falls and breaks his leg. And you're like, Oh my God, I'm out. You know, I'm going to lose. And number four is looks like he's going to take the lead. You can go right then and there 
and bet on number four while the race is actually happening because our stream is so fast. Um, so, so that type of betting, that kind of what's referred to as micro betting or micro wagering, where you're literally betting on every single play. Mm-hmm. Imagine betting on whether Patrick Mahomes is going to throw a touchdown, not in this quarter, not on the next drive, right. but on the next play. Mm-hmm. And not will Aaron Judge hit a home run in this at bat. Will he hit a home run on the next pitch? Right. That's the kind of betting, you know, in-play betting or that type of market. That's what real-time streaming can affect. And, you know, just imagine the kind of revenue that that's going to drive for the FanDuels and the DraftKings of the world and the leagues and all these other companies that are involved. Um you know, when they can start doing that on a regular basis. Well, like we've seen out here when it comes to information and data that uh, companies are, are, are collecting that they can use for for their own gain. You guys have like the golden ticket as you're as you're making the formula and you're the first in this space being like, hey, you know, others are trying to, you know, maybe popping up later down the road when it comes to competitors that are in the space. But we can tell you for a fact, this is what we can we can bring for you. Yeah. I mean, we've got, we now have real use cases, real clients mm-hmm. that are using it on a daily basis. I mean, we're streaming, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of streams a day all over the world. Um, so, you know, it's, we're no idea anymore. We are far, we're quite a, you know, quite a bit advanced. And now we're, we've developed, you know, all kinds of new features. We did one of our biggest clients is, uh, is a company called Edgecast, which was formerly Verizon Media. And we do a lot of work with them for their clients like the NFL and the NBA and create, you know, multi-camera um, streaming features like streaming a game in seven with seven different camera angles. So you can watch and toggle between different cameras mm-hmm. and, you know, have watch parties and, and, you know, all kinds of different things, all using, you know, real-time streaming. And without that, you can't really you can't really do that. You can't interact, truly interact with your friends unless you have that kind of technology. Yeah. Yeah, you talk about the watch party, second screen. Where do you just in, in general of the sports landscape and OTT, like where do you where do you see the landscape kind of evolving to? Um, and how do you see AR and VR maybe being a part of that in the next five to ten years? Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, the whole sort of um the social aspect of where people are trying to go with VR and, and AR um, being able to not only watch, but, you know, communicate and interact and bet all at the same time while you're, you know, while you're watching games, while you're experiencing games, betting, not only are you betting against FanDuel, but, you know, I'm betting against Taylor. He said to me, you know what? No way is Patrick Mahomes going to throw a touchdown on the next pass. And I say, yes, he is. And I bet him two bucks and there it is right there. You know, it's, it's that kind of that direct communication that we can do visually with VR and, and, you know, you know, which is where things are going. Um, That's where I think it's going to get really, really interesting. But again, you have to be able to do it in real time. Right. And the, uh, the whole micro payments, we can have a sidebar on that one on where on, on that, uh, how that is really infiltrating the market from, 
I guess the free the freemium games is that is that how they call it? Yeah, that's right. Where free to play whole, games, right? That's where everything starts coming. Like, oh, yeah, I'll just drop a dollar. It's no problem here. Exactly. Dollar turns into fifteen later, and then now you have uh, make sure your kid doesn't get your phone because you have. <laughs> but that's the future of betting. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's not the it's not the people that bet you know one hundred thousand right. dollars. It's not the whales. It's the it's the people like us that are not you know we're not huge betters, but we're watching a game. It's you know I got my phone. My app is open. It's very easy. I'm watching. I'm betting. It's it's just so easy to do that. It's just a very simple process, and that's where the future is. So I don't I don't know if you'll be able to answer this one because it, it might be close to the vest for you all internally. Uh, but I, I do like how you mentioned you know uh, from the, the the big companies that are already out there and established media media companies. So are you all trying to be in the in the direction that you are currently in and? you know, staying and being in the underlying infrastructure and making those partnerships? Or are you looking at being becoming one of those media giants? Are you going to be the the evergreen of the, you know, the shipping world to all of these major partners? Or are you going to become, you know, the Walmart and the Amazon of the world and be like, you know what, we can do that? No way, man. <laughs> <laughs> rights, the rights, acquiring rights to content uh-huh. is a minefield. And, you know, I used to work at the NFL, so I know how much things cost. And, and you know, look, I mean, we all read about the hundred and I don't know what, 10 or $13 billion deal they just signed with all their broadcasters. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to let, we're going to let the broadcasters, we're going to let those out there handle their business and acquiring the rights to content. And we want to stay in the background and be like a power company and just power their power, their content to all the users all over the world. Ah, I love that. Is that, and also it's, I mean, there's so many other OTT that are popping out like FUBU TV, Sling TVs out there. Is that also kind of who you want to be partnering Absolutely. with? Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. With, there's no reason why we can't help them reduce their latency and reduce their, you know, their dependence on sort of older technology and, um, and bring a new, you know, a new way to experience content and watch and bet and converse and interact uh, all at once. So yeah, absolutely. Do you think we'll see maybe a correction? It feels like there's so many people that have like done cord cutting over the past, probably 10 years. Do you think in any way, cause it feels like now if you have Hulu and Netflix and whatever, right, you're probably paying the same amount of money. Do you see us going back and, you know, everyone having DirecTV or AT&T or whatever? Do you feel like there'll be some sort of correction or do you think we'll just continue to add more streaming platforms? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, it's if you really think about it, you know, these these bundles aren't really, you know, what I watch when I want to watch because each bundle has channels I may want or may not want. It's not like there's an a la carte you know, bundle out there where I could say, okay, I want ESPN, MSG, A&E, and CNN. That's all mm-hmm. I want. Mm-hmm. So it's not, you know, you can't, we're not at that point. Um, right. You know, will we get to that point? You know, that's, you know, will channels offer their services individually? I think that's interesting. I don't know if we can get to that point. It becomes, you know, from a financial standpoint, I'm not sure that the, the modeling works, but um, you know, from a from a sports streaming standpoint, I think more and more of these uh, companies are going to acquire rights because it's a way for them to differentiate themselves. It's a way for them to drive, you know, not only subscription but retention. Mm-hmm. And you know, we hope that real time is also a way for them to drive differentiation and you know and retention for their users as well. So um, we'll see. It'll be very interesting to see. Yeah. 
So you mentioned, and I uh, might be taking a, a question from my brother, but um, you know, you have a really diverse background. You said you're with the NFL. So what made you, you know, come over to Phoenix? You've been with Phoenix for uh, quite some time now. And um, what what uh, inspired you to to make the jump over? Well, when I left the NFL, I sort of, which was like a late 2002, 2003, um, I started kind of a little consulting business, and um, I started to sort of get into technology just casually just kind of see what was going on mobile was just sort of you know just starting a little bit it was it was kind of still in its infancy it was you know ringtones and and mobile websites and it was just kind of very elementary but um it started to intrigue me you know just sort of the whole world of technology so um i started to kind of you know just educate myself on what was going on. And I started a company in, in 2009 called Mimo that was sort of a, a, a licensing company for virtual worlds, which is now called Meta or Metaverse. You know, the Metaverse is not new. I mean, everybody is kind mm -hmm. of, you know, going crazy about all this, um, but it's not new. There were virtual worlds uh 10, 12, 13 years ago called Second Life and Haba Hotel yeah. and X -Life, uh, Xbox Avatar Marketplace. You know, yeah. dressing your avatar and conversing in avatar worlds is is just, it's not new. So um, it's new to ready. a lot of young people, but yeah. it's not new uh, in general. So um, I've kind of was always into that. And, um, you know, it just, this when this opportunity came along and I met our founder and saw his vision, it just, it was a no brainer for me because he's, he probably is one of 10 or 15 people, you know, with the knowledge he has in the whole world. So um, it's a pretty unique position to be in. I think we're really on the cusp of making some big changes. Yeah. I was going to say you, you all received uh, funding, I think back in like April of this past year, right? Like we did. We closed a B round of funding. So we're very well capitalized. So um, yeah, we're going to be around for a while. Yeah. Be careful. What <laughs> we're coming. We're coming. I, I, I know I, I see that so what's the what's the the company uh size like right now i know you guys are, are looking growth from a partnership standpoint and and internally uh as well yeah we're just about 50 people just about i think just about 50 people um and we're growing we're hiring more people um you know we need it i mean the demand is calling for it so we need um, we're just, we always look for good engineers and developers because they're hard to find the really, really mm -hmm. good ones. Mm -hmm. Um, so we're always, you know, we're always trying to find developers and engineers to help us. It's, you know, it's pretty complex technology, so it's not, it's not for everybody, but, um, it's, uh, yeah, we're, we are, we are very much on the rise from a internal, you know, hiring and growth standpoint. Well, if you know how to speak the, uh, if you're listening out there, you're like, you know what? I can talk ones and zeros very, very well, you know, uh, <laughs> go, go, go check out uh, Phoenix Real-Time Solutions. Please do. But, um, this, this might fall under the technical aspect. So I just, it may, it may or may not be. So for, from what I'm going to ask here. So I guess the, the biggest difference from what I've seen in this space is, and you've mentioned it a few times that. Uh, 500,000 viewers, you know, up to, you know, a million, millions of viewers is what you're anticipating for your streams. So from 
the algorithm that knows that you you need to provision more for uh, in your internal server so that you can keep up with the bandwidth that's coming in and traffic. What do you guys work on the back end so that you can allow, um, you know, the amount of viewers that you're looking to hope for? Because I've seen most people cap their their viewership and their users, you know, a couple thousand here or there because yep. they can control that environment. So yep. wh- how do you how do you guys end up separating yourself in that way? Well, you are brilliant because you hit upon what makes us truly unique. And that isn't that we can stream in real time. It's that we can stream in real time at scale. Mm -hmm. We're the only ones that have been able to stream to a half a million users concurrently, simultaneously, Mm -hmm. while maintaining that same, you know, three, four, five hundred millisecond real time latency. So um, and and quite frankly, a lot of what we use on the back end is is AI. And um, what we've built on the back end allows us to provision resources automatically. In other words, mm-hmm. the, the platform knows by how people sign in um, automatically how many people are coming to the platform. Um, the best example of this is, is some of the horse racing we've done in the UK. There's a, a big week of horse racing every March called the Cheltenham Festival. It's the biggest week of horse racing all year in the UK. Yeah. And they have 28 races um, over four days, seven races a day. And people come in and then they go out. They come in and they go out. So what we were doing is we, people, you know, hundreds of thousands of people would come in, watch the race. The race would be like a minute, two minutes, and then leave. And then 10 or 20 minutes later, they'd come back in for another race. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then come back. And to be able to do that without the platform crashing or breaking is highly unusual and highly complex. And we did that using only one data center and basically no operations people. It just oh, it's no automatic. Our, our our platform is completely automated. So that happens without us touching it, without us doing anything. Yeah. And comparatively, like, you know, you've seen or you've read about like a lot of the fights, you know, the the Mayweather fight where like 300,000 mm-hmm. people come on at once and mm-hmm. it breaks the platform. Right. And, you know, you mm-hmm. can't, that's what we've provisioned for, for that not to happen. Wow. wow that's that's amazing. That's yeah, yeah, that's so impressive. Yeah, and I assume that's, that's so much legwork at the beginning. I assume just to be able to kind of build that out, but the fact oh, that yeah. your AI yeah. is at that capability already. Right. And that's, as you guys are getting funding, that's, that's so incredible to hear. Y'all's yeah, deployment I mean, must've been. Yeah. That's what we're, you know, like, we're sort of, you know, we've been doing this a while. So yeah. what we work on next isn't, you know, being able to stream. It's get, we've already solved that. Yeah. What we're working on now is, you know, how to perfect it and how to do, you know, the things that we're doing on the back end of our technology yeah. is, you know, is what nobody sees, but you don't realize it when you watch a stream and it's in, you know, 1080p and it's, you know, perfectly seamless and your platform, your phone watches it without you even doing anything. And so do 400,000 other people are at the same time watching it with you. Um, you know, those are the things that we're doing on the back end that, you know, that makes the technology even better. Yeah, definitely seen, uh, you know, the partnerships that you guys have, whether that's from, you know, AMD and, and, and others, but, um, having that in your data centers and, and I can understand that deployment was probably one where you guys were like, Ooh, we just, uh, we need to get this. We need to get this done. Everybody's sweating. I know how that can, I, I can understand. Well, that. you know, the first time you do it with that number, yeah, you're like, okay, everybody's like, well, we know we can do it. 
we think, yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we're pretty sure we can do it. We have a lot of confidence we can do it. So, but you know, until it actually happens and you're streaming four or 500,000 people at once mm -hmm. and all of them have, I mean, we didn't get one complaint, not one. Oh, wow. So, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty mind boggling. So, um, and you know, now we've done it, uh, you know, we do it all the time. So it's, it's, it's something that we're good at and used to. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, we have a leg up on, on the other companies that are trying to do this. So my, my, my brother and I, we're, we're both in the tech space and being in the tech space, we, we see, you know, how a lot of the rooms look at, at the same times when we walk in and, and you mentioned that the growth that you guys are going through, what type of, you know, you know, diversity initiatives, because in it space, you see that, uh, it's, it's a lot of the, it's a lot of the same crowd. And like you're saying, for coming in for engineers, developers, uh, and those are the, those are the sort that you're looking for in hiring. Is there anything that Phoenix is doing specifically uh, in this space to 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 help diversify and keep enriching the space that is, uh, you know, technology and sports technology? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, your point's a good one. It's 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 one of the hardest things because there's a lot of. I, mean, I hate to say it, there's a lot of, you know, white, I mean, there's a lot of similar looking people mm -hmm. in this space and we're trying to diversify. We have, when we first started, when I first started, we didn't have a woman in the company and now we mm -hmm. have quite a few, you know, we have a couple mm -hmm. women in the company. So, you know, it's a slow grind, but we're trying to diversify and bring different backgrounds to the company because it only makes us better as a company when you have people from different backgrounds and different cultures um, we have a we ha we have a small office in Lagos, Africa. Um, so we have people, you know, in that kind of a culture that that we have part of the company. We have a, a an office in Kiev. Um, so we have you know mm. a development team in Kiev. So we we try and diversify, you know, as much as we can and bring to the you know bring to bear people that have different backgrounds. And it's a, yeah. It's a never-ending battle, you know, which is, I mean, obviously, you know, you want the best person, mm -hmm. um, but you also want, but, you know, how do you define best, right? I mean, it's not just one way. There's a, there's a few ways, there's a few components to what makes the best person, and culture is one of them. Mm -hmm. yeah. No, I love that. Yeah. Uh, get you out of here. It's, we're at the 30 minute mark. So get you out of here on this one. I wanted to go back to the sports gambling aspect of it. And like, essentially, where do you see that market? You talked about really in-person betting, the micro betting, especially with what you're able to do at Phoenix with the, the real-time solutions. Where do you see that landscape? Do you feel like all 50 states will, will start to adopt? I think there's 34 right now. There's there? 32 that have passed. 30, 28 have, have enacted along with DC. And there are four more that are going to start as of January, New York being one of them. Um, and then there's quite a few other bills. Well, do, will we get to 50? You know, that's hard to say. I think once we get to 40, mm -hmm. then we're starting to talk about a national, you know, now we have national betting. Mm -hmm. um, but, but, and I'll caveat that, I think it has to be mobile. Mm -hmm. Because right. if it's just casino or in-person or, you know, not mobile, I, I don't think the impact in each state will be seen, nor will the revenue be as great as it could be unless they pass a law for mobile betting. Because, again, using the UK, you're talking about, I don't know, 70, 80, 90 percent of the bets are done. I, I know New Jersey, it's 90 percent of the bets are done on mobile devices. So, oh, wow. you know, it's just an extraordinary percentage. So until you have, you know, mobile betting in 35, 40 states, um, 
I think we'll start to see national campaigns when we get to 35 or 40 states. Mm -hmm. But when we get to mobile, that's when we'll see the big money start to roll in. Really big money. I mean, New Jersey's driving it, but I'm talking multiple billions. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy that they're, they've done it. California has not, which is, I know it's been in the works for a little bit, but yeah. as these big states start to adopt it, it feels like it'll get to a different place. So Agreed. Agreed. Massachusetts has not either. Yes, no, you're right. It's kind of mind-boggling that some of the bigger states haven't. Yeah. I mean, Florida, there's a lot of issues with the tribes and, you know, there's now a case that's being, you know, it's, and that's going to happen. The tribes have a lot of power and, and you know, obviously they want you to go in their casino and rightly so. They have every right to do that, but um it's going to be tough in the long run because there's just too much money being left on the table that the states are going to start seeing i mean new york saw their neighbor new jersey like you know people in new york are going to new jersey to make bets yeah. yep. exactly. i mean it's crazy you know yeah, you can't you have let money, that money. Just walk out of the state there yeah you yeah. can't let that money walk out of the yeah. state so right. it's going to happen all over and as uh, technology keeps getting better and we keep getting lazier, people don't Google anymore. But you know what it's I mean? It take two seconds to to pop in information to find to yeah. find out to find out things for themselves at the end of the day. But as as it gets better, people want ease of use and they want that access. And so hopefully we continue to see they that. want it here. They, they, right. Exactly right they there. They want it on their mobile device. That's where they yeah. want it. And you guys are at the forefront in in that change for. Um, for sports betting, especially there. And um, are you guys going to continue to be in this space for the, the interactive space as well? And Oh, it's our number one priority. Anything interactive, yeah. anything, you know, gamification, obviously okay. betting is sort of the Holy grail, but right. um, yeah, anything, you know, that's where our technology shines. Okay. Interactivity and, you know, trivia and, and watch parties and social gatherings and multi-camera watching and things of that nature. That's where we shine. I'm seeing y'all behind the scenes for every esports competition that as they continue to grow. Esports is an area that we're we haven't gotten into yet, but we're now getting close to one or two interesting deals that I think will will be very very Ooh. interesting for the space. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's might have. Uh oh. We might have a new. We have a news I, break here. Yeah. You know. <laughs> hopefully next time I'm on, we can break something. Oh, that'd yeah. be amazing. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, well, Jed, thanks so much, man. This is uh, it's been great to really learn, uh, kind of pick your brain here, and obviously learn more about Phoenix. So, thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure, guys. Really enjoyed it. A huge thank you again to Jed Corinthal of Phoenix. Uh, again, definitely check Phoenix out. They are the go-to provider for real-time video solutions. Um, we'll do more so kind of the, uh, the regular sports talk a little bit. And I got one funding round that we will highlight. I really just want to talk the coaching carousel. Yeah. Um, should we, should we start with, uh, Bayou Kelly? Go Dodgers. It's Go crazy. Dodgers. He's going to, he's going to be ready. He's going to be there soon. Go Go, he's going to have Ed Origins, uh, twang going on soon. It's, I mean, if you haven't seen the video, um, it's on Twitter and Instagram. It's pretty much all over. But uh, Brian Kelly was introduced at an LSU basketball game. And as he was introduced, he gave a very um, Southern accent uh, to the crowd as he was getting them riled up as, his, as the new uh, football coach down at LSU. And just – it had me thinking – like it's so there's so much money here and there's so many things that are kind of going around here, but it, it's, it's one of those things I was thinking about it as a student athlete, right? If you saw that 
And I know Brian Kelly's been out there for a long time. He's had success at Notre Dame, Cincinnati. But if I saw that as a player, I would be like, well, that dude is full of shit. Like, why am I going to go there and play for him? Right now, obviously, playing for LSU, yada, yada, yada. But would you take that into consideration if you were on the recruiting trail right now? I would, but the tough part would be if I really wanted to play at LSU. LSU. And I think that's what's lost in a lot of recruiting for for players. You're going for the coach. So, uh, I mean, shout out, Mike, you know, you know, shout out to my coach. You know, Etzel was the person that recruited me to, to UConn. But what at the end of the day, the thing that I ended up loving, he ended up leaving. So I had to go through the whole process of a coach coming. You know, I come in for a coach, coach ends, coach ends up packing his bags and going to another school. And so you have to tell yourself, like, am I here strictly for this coach or am I here about the program, the people that I met and what I can do here at the school. And so there's two different things. And I think a lot of kids nowadays right now are only focusing really on the first thing and where this coach can get me and then not thinking of, all right, well, let me give a chance for the the next coach to come in. And then I, you know, I, I have this affiliation with the school that I can appreciate if you're already there. And so if I'm a recruit coming into the game, and then, yeah, my, my, you know, Ed Orjon gets, you know, up and fired. I would definitely decommit, see what's going on, talk with Brian Kelly just because I love the school. But then if he's going to be the reason why I wouldn't want to play at my dream school because of that, that could be, yeah, that could be a huge factor. But if I was already there and that was the school that I really wanted to be at, I would, you know, I would stick that, stick around. But knowing somebody is full of, full of crap is, uh, it, it's a huge deterrent because, you know, you, you, you can't trust somebody like that. You know, Metro Boom, yeah. if young Metro don't trust you and that's, you know, he ain't trusting Brian Kelly. It's so interesting. You talk about um, loyalty, right? And, and what happens when you get on campus. And I think it's interesting because, you know, let's use those coach 30 videos. Shout out. Those are hilarious. Right. But he always talks about the air app and how different that is now where, you know, you can go pair with the coach and go find a different place to play. But I want to go back to something you said, because you went through this process. You guys come off of the Fiesta Bowl win or Fiesta Bowl, excuse me, you did, did, did not win. You got blown out. But Edsel we were, actually, it was close. Let's let's keep it real until some things happen. But it was a close game for half the game. You're welcome. Anyways. I'm just keeping it real. Anyways, Edsel leaves kind of in the middle of the night. What, what's going through your decision, right? You're a freshman at the time. Um, I believe you made, what, Roger Steele's or whatever his name is. You made his uh, freshman all-team list. Phil like, you're coming off Freshman off All-American. Of- well, yeah, you're fresh. You're a freshman All-American. You're coming off of a really good season. What's going through your mind is, to your point, is like you know a new coach is coming in, but but you've got this camaraderie with the guys you played. Like, how does that? How did how did that all kind of go down for you mentally? Well, here's the thing. You think tape doesn't lie. I've been playing, and you know that should continue. And my I trust my talents enough for the next people to come in. And you know the status quo should keep going on. So I mean, I was a second string as a true freshman. Ends up being, you know, the same position, second string starting positional nickel in my sophomore year, just because this is where politics start coming into play instead of it just being about your talents. And so, but off but the also bat, a coach that didn't know you, right, and had right. no familiarity with you, right. And that's where you got to start. I mean, my, my mindset was was all right. You know, I'm getting a new coach, but once I get on the field, I'm able. My play should be able to speak for itself, and then that's what it should only be is about your play. 
But you end up seeing at that point in time, that's where a lot of politics come in. And that's where I can understand some people hitting up the air app and uh, joining into the transfer portal. But um, other cases, I see people jumping in the transfer portal just because they're not playing. But right. for my mindset, if I, you know, I was playing and I can prove on the field of why I need to continue to play and my value to the team and why it's undeniable for me to not, you know, to stay, to be on the bench. Well, it's crazy. It probably would have been if the air app is there and the transfer rules and portal was there at the time, it probably would have been easier for you to go find a better match, right, than what you ended up having in Pascalani. Yeah, it definitely would have. And, um, you know, there's so many more avenues now for kids to make that jump um, for whatever reason that they have and to to put yourself out there because I think the recruiting game is different for, for kids with not huddle uh, using Twitter and this direct access into coaches, but then that's so many more players now that are available to get there. So how do you filter yourself out or, or, or separate yourself from the, the masses, so to speak? So, yeah, I, I think for kids, you know, with the Brian Kelly's of the world rolling in, I mean, we had Jim Mora Jr. just come to UConn. There's a huge coaching carousel going on right now. Yeah. Um, I, I, I would, you know, you just have to see what they're saying. And if you trust that and trust what your abilities are, go through it. And then, you know, if you're like you're saying with the new rule changes, your first four games, you're not feeling it. You don't have to play. You just I'm, I'm sitting out. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What do you think? Out of all the coaches that have changed uh, changed teams here, what coach do you think will have the most immediate success? Uh, I think Jim Mora. I think Jim Mora Jr. might have some um, bias because I've you know, but I I am looking at what he did at UCLA after after Coach Neuheisel, and so you come in and you he turned that program around, and obviously it wasn't a marriage that lasted for forever, but. Jim Mora ended up turning a UCLA program that's in a very tough recruiting um, hotbed, so to speak, with California, and you're battling Burke, Berkeley. And, you know, that's that's what I, you know, out here in Cali, we call it Burke. You know, remember if y'all ain't, you ain't familiar, you know, I'm talking Cal, Berkeley. I'm talking the USC's, uh, obviously Stanford, and that whole California gauntlet. It's harder to get into Stanford than, than our schools, but um, I think he did a good job there. But for Another school, I'm gonna go with. Ooh, um, I mean, is it really turning around USC for Lincoln Riley? I think yeah. the offense will be a lot better, and then he'll be able to bring in recruits. But I think from that standpoint, he'll bring a more reputable name off the rip. And I think by year two, they'll have an impact for being a top 25 team, but not for year one, year one, you're going to be like, all right, they have made strides. They have the players. He's brought in more players. We can see what Lincoln Riley can really do for, for the USC Trojans. But I said it and I said it again, and I'll say it on a mountaintop for forever until it changes. USC will never be great again until they do right by Reggie Bush. And what I mean by do right by Reggie Bush, give that man back his accolades. USC stop tripping and scapegoating on this, this poor brother. Not financially because he's doing all right. Shout out to his Fox 5 and his or his, his Fox gig Fox and his five. Fox 5. And, <laughs> hey, Atlanta, baby. I'm, I'm, I'm Atlanta through and through. Like you can tell. I'm sorry. That's Atlanta stepping out on me. But, yeah, they will never be great again until USC does right by him. Who do you think uh, will be an immediate impact coach? No, you took mine. I mean, Lincoln Riley, to me, at USC, changes the landscape of college football. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the nice thing about USC, right, is they really – no offense to the Pac-12, but they don't have to really play anybody, right? You've yeah. got to play Utah, Oregon, and Arizona State. Those are your primary that, – that, that's your path to essentially winning the Pac-12. And now you're – if you're able to win the Pac-12, you're in the playoffs. So I think that's the biggest one, and he's the one that's going to have – to your point, I mean, if he gets – he did such a great job uh, using the transfer portal at OU. Yeah. I know he's going to use it at USC, especially to get going here quickly, bring some guys in, right? He had the, he had the run of Baker to Kyle, to, uh, Kyler, Kyler Murray and, and Jalen Hurts, right? I mean, he's understood how to use this and get the right quarterback in. I think he'll do the same thing at USC. And again, his path is so different. It's so much easier. I'm not saying that he ran from the smoke a little bit in, in the SEC, but he looked at it and was like, all right, well, I can go run the Pac-12 and legitimately run the Pac-12, run California from recruiting, and not have to deal with Alabama and Auburn and LSU and Georgia and Florida and everybody else, right? I can just go over here to the West Coast. They bought him a house, like all that stuff. It just makes it way more, uh, I think, way more accessible for him to see to see results quicker. No, I am 100% with you on that one. And also, for the first time, I will give a shout-out to the Pac-12 commissioner and – that league for switching the game out of Levi Stadium in Santa Clara. Santa Clara, terrible. In, Not terrible. Listen, it's unfortunate that they put it in because it's a, it is a nice place, but to get there is ridiculous. From the 40, what, 45 minutes. You think you're in San Francisco? It's not in San Francisco. And it's what, still how far from the airport when you fly into San Francisco? I mean, even if you fly into San Jose, it's still like 25 minutes or something. Like yeah. it's crazy. So, them moving the Pac-12 game to LV, uh, Las Vegas, is amazing. Is It was amazing. I think that was probably the best crowd that they've had for a Pac-12 final in years. That wasn't just, you know, Stanford being in the Pac-12. So you have a local crowd coming in and in Oregon. So where you, you know, proximity is easy for them. So I thought that was a great move. And then now you imagine the USC resurgence and you have that four-hour drive, that bandwagon. Oh, actually, not four-hour drive. Build Back Better program. You're going to have that bullet train going from, which is going to, I honestly might fly to LA just to ride that train from LA into Las Vegas for a fun trip because that's going to be the most lit train ever. But I thought they did a really good job, especially now as a college athlete. Um, I think they're going to start promoting that game instead of being on a Friday, Friday night, they might bump that to another. I don't know where you put that on Saturday, but well, it's tough. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, yes, it feels like the SEC owns Saturday there. And then the, obviously the yeah. big 10 game was huge this year. So yeah. it feels Friday makes more sense for the Pac-12, but it, I mean, it's a great point. Moving the game was huge. Yeah. Cause the glitz and the glam, especially as a player, you're like, man, we just won the Pac-12 and you get to go out in Las Vegas. Like there's just the, the, the eyeballs on it. It just felt like a much bigger game than what it was in the dreary Santa Clara um, Levi's Stadium because it always yeah. like rained for some reason. Yeah. Um, yeah, so shout out. So, I mean, it'll be interesting. We'll see how these coaches do. But I thought that was uh, – it was good to kind of walk through and obviously going through it a little bit from Taylor's perspective, having a coaching change. Uh, I thought that would be interesting to talk about. Yeah, but, uh, but, but I think there's one more point too. And I think this is the first yeah. time where you've had coaches leaving when you were on the cusp of – going to a college football playoff. And so, one, I don't ever want to hear the crowd of players should, you know, honor their commitment to their teams and stick it out. 
for four reasons, you know, I, there's some people where you're like, I don't know why you left, bro. But, you know, that's that was kind of dirty, but whatever. But these coaches do people dirty. You know, that's the name of the game. You you see dollar signs when you're back and you have to do what's best for you and your family. That's obviously what coaches are doing. And they got up and left in the middle of uh, contention, not even at the end of the season. That used to be the grace of a coaching leave was, hey, I'm leaving, but at least it's the end of the year and you guys can get right. So the only benefit is, you know, schools can jump on and start looking for the coaching shirts early if that decision's made. But yeah, I mean that they're going to leave, but yet to get up and fully go, you know, my bags are packed. I'm on that G5 yesterday. That's what was so surprising about some of these changes. Yeah, I mean, take Oregon, who was going for a Pac-12 uh, title. They get blown out by Utah. Their coach is being courted by Miami, as Miami still has a coach who's on the recruiting trail, which that just – I mean, to your point, the integrity of it, right, all of it is 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 BS. And Yeah, 100%. I mean, Brian Kelly – I mean, Notre Dame was looking was on the outside looking in for the playoff, but, I mean, they were right there, right? If, if Michigan loses – on Saturday, what happens, right? Does Notre Dame sneak in? And the fact that their coach just up and left them. Um, yeah, I mean, it just speaks to where the landscape is. There's so much money out there, but we've got to stop villain. Like, yeah, re really like making these players a villain essentially when they want to sit a bowl game or if they're like, listen, I want to leave and do my thing as well when the coaches and obviously the chancellors and, and presidents of these institutions are looking at it from a dollar's uh, perspective too. Yeah. Mario Cristobal definitely signed that contract before that game. He didn't coach to win that game. I mean, the fact that people actually bet on Oregon is baffling to me. Yeah, no, he, he was gone. He, he was out. Yeah, he was two feet out the door already. Yeah, which is, I mean, that's just, it's so, I mean, it's just so disheartening <laughs> for the players, right? He, he was he was planning on being in that wind pool, ready to celebrate real quick and head to that night party and then, and then take the jet down to Miami. That's what he was planning on doing. I don't know if I don't know if he was planning on doing that. Great party atmosphere, though. You know he had that section already on live on on yeah. on deck. No, no. What's the club? Is the XL? What's what's that club in there too? I think so. Yeah, in the win. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe that's an Aria. One of the two. I can't remember. Uh, I got one funding round we'll talk about here. Uh, it is on the Sports Tech Atlanta Media Instagram and Twitter. Uh, continue to follow us there for updates on funding rounds and just different uh, topics within sports technology. Uh, but this is Alt here, ALT. They're a trading card platform that just raised $75 million in a Series B raise, which was led by Spearhead. Uh, there was also participation from Tom Brady, Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, Alex Morgan, Candace Parker, and Marlon Humphrey. Uh, they say the funds will go towards the launch of their app, as well as card and asset expansion. So again, shout out to Alt for the Series B raise. Um, and again, a huge thank you um, to Jed of Phoenix for joining us uh, for the interview. Just amazing insights um, uh, around what they are doing and also just uh, from a tech and OTT perspective. Uh, so really great, great conversation there. Uh, so again, as always, continue to rate, subscribe. Um, uh, the podcast here, you can find it everywhere, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, uh, as well as following myself uh, at Mac and Taylor at TaylorMac29 on IG and Twitter. So we appreciate it, and we'll see you in the next edition of Sports Tech and Legacy Talk.